Welcome to the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast, bringing you open and honest conversations about resources in Tuscarawas County. Now here's your host, Jody Salvo. Hi, this is Jody Salvo. Welcome to another Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Um, today, I'm really excited about our speaker. We have Jennifer Kiko, um, Director of Outreach for Congressman Bob Gibbs' office. I am really going to have trouble speaking today, I can tell already. Um, I'm delighted to have Jennifer here. Um, she is a wonderful asset to Tuscarawas County, and I know many other regions. Um, she is passionate about mental health issues and substance use issues, um, an advocate for treatment, for resources. Um, she's had some background working at a treatment facility. Um, but she's also someone that's always willing to show up here in Tuscarawas County. Anytime we have an initiative, we have an issue to advocate for areas of concern that we have. And I can just think of, you know, when we really saw the transition from opioid abuse to methamphetamines here in the community and funding was coming down at a federal level. And we were saying like, Jen, listen, like we have all these dollars for opioids, but that's not our problem right now. Like it's methamphetamines and we can't use these dollars to treat this issue. And Jennifer was so willingly willing to listen to bring other people in to have these conversations that Bob was able to take it back to a federal level. And, and I have to say, uh, we had a little pre-conversation before we just went on air that I was able to say, oh my goodness, the dollars are opening up and we're able to use them in these magnificent ways. So with that, I just want to thank Jen for being here today, um, just being such a wonderful support for Tuscarawas County. Um, and I'm also going to say in advance, I really appreciate her willingness to share her story. Um, because you're going to hear her heart today. I absolutely know that. And the issue of substance use and mental health has touched her and her family. And I think that's what makes her so responsive to the needs, um, the needs in all these areas. So with that, Jennifer, I'm just going to kind of throw it over to you. Okay. Well, um, you know, as far as experience in this area, um, I had a sister at um, about 62 years old. Um, died of a uh, drug overdose her entire life um, from the earliest age I can remember. Um, she, she dealt with that beast. And um, prior to the understanding, um, and this is really just being very transparent, that it's a disease, um, you know, we just thought she could be fixed. Um, we had family members that thought that they could pray it away. And um, unfortunately, I kind of fell under that. She died in 2015. And so, you know, most of my adult life up to that point, I, you know, was very sad that this life was, was taken away, that, that she fell victim to that. And then, you know, little by little, as I was in this role and became real experienced at the time, because it was just the topic that everybody needed help with because our communities were, were dying at a record amount, um, I began to learn and um, had to deal with my own conviction yeah. um, because it was a disease and it, it wasn't a choice. And so I don't know if, if that was what led me to really do a deep dive and, and understand the link um, 
and and even look at my own life in, okay. in a lot of ways um, because addiction isn't just drugs, um, you know, and, and you're really feeling a, filling a void that you can't describe. And so I began sitting down and having a lot of conversations and just using, you know, where I am in this life to to do whatever I can to help anybody, regardless if it's in Bob's district, if it's in, you know, I, and I think, Jody, you know this, I looked for someone for 36 hours. I never even met. I had a friend call me and he had nowhere to turn and they couldn't find, it was his stepsister, they couldn't find her. And so I just dove in and used the resources that I had to, and kind of some stories that I wouldn't... (laughs) There were lies at the time, I'll say it, um, you know, because HIPAA was such a thing, you know, but I found this woman, wow. went into her ICU room and had no idea what I would even find and just had a conversation and wanted her to know that there were so many people looking for her um, because they loved her. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she was like... Who are you? What are you even doing here? And like, how are you in my ICU? You know, and I said, I I don't, I can't explain it, but you just need to know. And she's like, people were looking for me. She had no idea. And, And it comes down to that. You know, we all need that feeling of love and value. And for those in addiction, they're shameful. Um, that stigma, um, is just, you know, over and over and over, they just don't even know how to deal with it. And it comes down to one thing. They just want to be loved. They yeah. want to matter. They, and, and they do matter, no matter what stage of addiction or recovery they're in. They matter profoundly to anyone that's in their life at that time. Jen, you were saying a little bit earlier that um, from Bob Gibbs' office, you all send certificates to recovery court. I do. And you said you need everyone or you want everyone to know that their recovery matters. It matters. And, and that just says so much. And, and not, I mean, and it's not a, it's not a political move. I know it's not a political, I, I know your heart. I mean, it, it's because I, you know, for so long, I wish, you know, that I'll, I'll share with you, and this is really um, going to be hard, so f- forgive me. I'll cry with you if you cry, so. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so I have um, an uncle that is very, was very dear to me. And I'll just give you a real insight to my sister's story. So our dad died when we were very, very young and our uncle kind of stepped in and, and took that role for the family. He was a younger brother to my dad. And he, I'm from Georgia. My, my family is from Georgia and Ohio. And I was visiting him and my sister Glory was in the hospital and she had cut ties, you know, all of her, her kids had cut ties other than her mom. And, and um, so she's a half sister, her mom and, and my other half sister, they, they were trying to help her. And my uncle said to me, Jen, we need to go see her in the hospital. And again, now understand, I think it's a choice. And so this was probably back in 2014. It was in 2014. So we go to the hospital and I'm trying to, to be a, a deliverer of hope in a world that I don't understand. 
Okay. And so for me, I wear my emotions on my face. So I remember saying to my uncle, okay, so you've got to like, give me a look. If I have like that look on my face, it's not going to make her feel very uncomfortable, very comfortable. So she was there. And I, again, this is something I didn't know she needed potassium. So potassium. So she was, she was dehydrated and, and her potassium levels had dropped, which I think is pretty significant with, um, drug with addiction. So we go in and, and I remember looking at her in the bed and just praying, you know, something, make something here today significant enough for her to fight for her tomorrow. And I remember my uncle, I had said to my uncle in the car, I don't know what to say to her. Like, I don't, I don't understand. And he's like, you just be you. You don't have to worry about it. So, so we visit, um, we had a great visit and, um, I'd actually given her a book that I thought would be helpful and, um, kind of went on her way. Um, fast forward the next summer, 2015, my uncle um, actually died in my arms as my cousin and I were giving him um, CPR, and um, it's horrible. And Gloria calls, like, the next day to, to see how I am. Okay. And my aunt and my cousins were at the funeral home. I had stayed back at the house, and... We had a really, really good conversation and, you know, I told her I loved her and, you know, we, we went through, Barry and my uncle went through that, those horrible services and she didn't come and she had said she was going to be there. And, you know, of course, you know, the family backlash, oh, you know, I'm sure she's not here, you know, and, and, um, you know, I was just like, guys, we're all doing the best we can in this situation. Sure. Let's, let's not judge this. And so I leave Georgia and I come home and it's actually like two weeks later that they find her dead in a ditch. And she had bonded her car. I didn't even know you could do that. It was like a 96 Ford Taurus. And I think they tracked that she had gotten like $960. And they weren't even able, it was June and in Griff in Georgia, they weren't. They had to use dental records to identify her, and it was later that it all hit me that more than likely my my uncle's death was her trigger, mm. and and it was just you know he was the piece of hope that that she had, and so it was from that point on I was like okay, whatever I need to do because I can't have anybody feel that it's not there's no hope right that that my fight isn't worth it so I think that subconsciously that's just where it connected and so <laughs> fast forward to the ISU you know, ICU room of a local hospital and and you know and I don't I don't know what happened to her but I know at that moment she was shocked that that a stranger would come into her room and let her know you know, it wasn't just me looking for you. Yeah. Like I, I called Orvis. I was like, I have no idea. Can you look in that database that you have? And can you, you know I mean? And, and we did, I, I, I connected with so many resources just because she needed to know. And, and I would hope that anybody listening to this, your efforts are not without notice. And even if you don't think it matters, it matters profoundly. They need you. Everyone needs to feel love. 
And, and that's as simple as showing up and saying, I don't understand, yeah. but I'm going to walk this with you. You said so much in all that. So I want to break down a couple things. One is just to point out that, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you didn't understand this whole addiction thing at all. Now, I'm sure as we talk a little bit about your story, this is not something that just happened overnight with your sister. But, you know, there can be loved ones and family members out there that do not understand addiction and don't feel bad about it. it. It doesn't make sense. None of it really makes sense. Like when you just look at addiction, why won't someone stop, you know? So it takes a little bit of time to understand the brain science behind addiction and then to understand all that comes with that. So people that really struggle with addiction, they don't want to be there. They don't. And you said the shame and guilt and all that that is attached with it, um, it's just hard to understand. And and it becomes like... um you know, I had um, a gentleman that I was talking to at, at a drug court in Medina County. And he explained it. And, and this is, this is going to be real vivid. But this, this was really the best way for me to understand it. He said, and, you know, we're living in this pandemic world. He said, it's almost like having a stomach virus and telling your body not to have diarrhea. And I just, you know, kind of looked at him and, you know, and was like, okay, that, that's probably right. a very good, you know, you, you can, you can't tell your body, body not to do what it's not, doing, not to do what it needs to do. Yeah. And, and you fight mm-hmm. the urge, you fight, you know, because you know, society tells you, you have everything for you. Why, why are you letting right. this control you? Well, it's, it comes down to a disease yeah. and, and the guilt that I had from not recognizing that, um, it, it, it really is what fueled my passion. And so what I ended up doing and, and, and God love Bob because he just let me go. I just started meeting with, you know, as, as many people, well, first of all, let me, let me back up and tell you about Congressman Gibbs. Um, when my sister died, so I had been working for him for a little over a year. And when my sister died, so I had had to have time off for my uncle and then Two weeks later, turned around and, and have this situation with my sister. And, and our family was devastated. And, and Bob called me driving back from D.C. It was a Friday. And he was like, listen, I just want you to know that we're praying for you. And whatever you need right now, I don't want you to worry about it work-wise. So you know, when we, everyone knows I have a very deeply rooted faith. When you look at my story and and you look at the depth in which the representation, um, not only in Tuscarawas County, but for this, this hurdle, Mm -hmm. I don't even know what we'll call it. It's amazing because I think at that moment, Bob understood this is so much deeper than what any of us can understand. Because I said to him, you know, Bob, my uncle's death triggered her. He was a staple in her life and she could be who she could be around him. And he loved her unconditionally. And so when you think about that and just how awesome the opportunity for so many to have someone be able to say, "Uh, I got news for you. It's not the way that you think it is. And I will correct you. 
um, because I lived it. And, and again, the guilt, uh, you know, that just encompassed all that became so much for me to bear because I probably could have done a lot more given the opportunity to have an understanding of what she was dealing with. I I hear the struggles you have internally, but I also know you're a woman of faith and I know all this is, is preparing you for Mm -hmm. the work that you do right now. Absolutely. So, um, so when Jody calls me and says, okay, this is what we're seeing, you know, I already know we need to have this conversation yeah. because I know that, that you are committed and, and I am too. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's awesome to yeah. see it come together. And, you know, possibly, you know, not possibly, I know this to be true. You know, God knew I would be strong enough to go through that. Mm-hmm. And it opens the ability for understanding on so many other levels. Yeah. Um, and so he was like, you, my child, have to take this. So I take it. Yeah. I'll have a conversation with him later about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's just really neat to understand. You've had the Crash Course 101, you know, like everything, well, probably 401 at this point. But um, for people who have loved ones that are struggling. No, you don't have to all that have all the answers, but if you can love someone through this, that's all you need to do initially. But the educating yourself on this issue is huge. Um, and there's so many opportunities to do that, especially here in the County. Like we have so many opportunities, has, have events, educational opportunities. So we're going to have a great speaker in Tuscarawas County in, um, April um, from Addiction Policy Forum that really can help you understand addiction. She's probably the best presenter that I know on that. But the more that you understand, and then the more you just immerse yourself in, in listening to stories and, and see that transformation from someone struggling to a life well-lived. And, and I'm going to say a shout-out to, you know, those people that are actively fighting the fight right now with their in their addiction recovery process and those persons in recovery who are just supporting each other um just to know hey we got your back we care about you each person has value and worth and it you make our families our communities um better you know just your recovery matters to each one of us so and i that, just that could be so simple as you know, changing the, the the way that you're looking at that person. Yeah. Just looking back at them with love and not um, judgment yeah. is huge. You, you don't have to understand it, but but you can love them anyway. Yeah. You know, and, and especially in today's day and age, we, we need so much of that. Yeah. We need to drop the stigma. Um. And, and remind everyone that they are valued and they are cherished and they're loved. And, Amen. and, and you know, you just, it could be as simple as change the look on your face mm-hmm. when you see that person that, you know, might be struggling. Or you come in, you know, to a grocery store and, you know, we all have that person that we think that looks like they, you know, they don't need that. Right. That right. shame is, they are the hardest. Like, I know for a fact that my sister was harder on herself than any of us mm. could have been, you know, because she didn't want to see those looks back. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, she was 60 years old. Like, think about it. You know, I mean, she fought her whole life. She knew this road. And how different could it have been if we just would have been there to listen? Um, maybe in 2015, you know, we didn't have what we have now. Right, right. But, you know, um, one of the things that, that is really important and we can do as a community is provide those in recovery with the avenues to stay in recovery. Um, and it could be as simple as um, helping them get their driver's license back. Yeah. Something as simple as, you know, working with the custody battle that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, alleviating some kind of, um, you know, court costs. Yeah. Those are the things that trip them back up. Right. Um, because it's, you know, and we all get there. This is not just someone in addiction. We all are faced with storms that we have no idea how we're going to get our way out of. Right. You know, some of us have the ability to maybe, you know, finagle our way out of it, but we've been there where we're like, I don't see any way out. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, just those hurdles, you know, any employer listening that, that opens up an opportunity for someone in recovery that might have Huge. You know, some some court problems on their um, resume. Huge. You have, you know, the trick is you have to love your life in recovery more than you liked your life in addiction. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? You know, how do you show success? Um, You give the elements, you know, one step at a time. Yeah. One rung of the ladder at a time. And, you know, we, we worked, um, when I was with the um, agency that I worked for, you know, I had a conversation with Community Legal Aid. I was like, can, can we, like, tap meet, into you? You're- meet with, can you come into our residential facilities and, and tap into those, you know, who knows? Well, that was huge. Um, one of the things that we did, which is one of my highlights of the entire um, time I was there, is we had residential um, male residents, and it ended up going into female. They delivered meals on wheels every week. And I rode along with them. And, and you know, I, I have a story with that um, that really hit me hard. Um, again, you know, God puts us where we're supposed to be when he needs us. We're delivering to this house, and, and, and the route was, like, in in very rural area. Okay. And we actually touched Tuscarawas County. And um, the guys started talking about, you know, the the majority of the people they were delivering to. And they're all tatted up and have their piercings. um, And they're talking about, you know, these are senior citizens. And, like, you know, they don't even, like, one of the houses didn't have a door. You know, it was just a screen door. And it was wintertime. Like, can't we do something to help Mm -hmm. them? And I was like, absolutely, you know, what would that look like? But we, we deliver to this house, and, and the guys get out, and, um, and it, it, I mean, they know the names of the dogs, you know, and we even had one recipient was sitting in the end of their driveway waiting for him because mm. it was the highlight of his day. And um, anyway, we get to this house, and it's an elderly woman, and she has these two dogs, and the, and the guys are talking about the dogs, and they're arguing about who's going to get out of the car or get out of the van, to, to give her the meals because not okay. only do they want to see her, they want to pet the dogs. And one of, one of the guys gets out of the van, 
and he's walking up to the house and and she has like these yard ornaments you know that we all have the grandmothers that have them like this little raccoon this bunny this squirrel <clears throat> and one of them has toppled over and he was the one most vocal about getting to the door first because he wanted to see her and see the dog he stopped and picked up the squirrel and and put it back up upright and then kind of looked and, and ended up like pulling a weed or whatever and then walked to the door and I just sat in that van and I thought about we're not delivering meals we're given a purpose. Yeah. For him in that moment, his recovery looked like help to someone else. He's still successful today. That's so awesome. You know, and, and so just, you know, as communities, you think about that. You, we all can help. I was um, taking a class seminar last week, and it really challenged me to think about the partnership of recovery and prevention. Um, because at the end of the day, the more we serve, the more we give, the more we get our our focus off of ourselves. And I think when we focus with ourselves, and I mean anybody, and I'm talking for myself as well, when I get all inward, I'm not living life well. I'm not loving on people. I'm Amen. not serving. But when you serve, it takes, it really does take the focus off of what could be your little problems or things you fixate on. And, and not only does it bring joy to other people, I think it brings more joy to yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and I've been uh, volunteering over at the food bank. And I know that's probably one of my favorite times of the week. I, I'm not doing anything. I'm taking a little grocery shop, <laughs> a little cart around, but I'm not sitting at home. I'm not watching my TV at COVID and I feel like I'm giving back and you just feel better. Um, but I think there's a lot of people in recovery, you know, come serve and you'll see how much absolutely we want to do life together. Absolutely. And how much we understand the difference you can make in our community that we all can together. So I, I just love that, you know. Well, and, and, and more so for that person in recovery reaching out to the community, you're helping curing that stigma. Absolutely. Because they don't expect you to be there. Absolutely. You only care about yourself. No, that's nope, not true. Not at all. You know what I mean? And so, you know, that, that full circle moment, you know, and, and for Dakota at that moment, you know, he got back in the, in the van and, and I was laughing and he's like, why are you laughing at me, Miss Jen? You know, and you have to think about like some of the ideas that I had were like, I remember the board of directors, you know, came in and they were like, so we're delivering meals on wheels. You want to ride along? You want to see how this is working? And, and, you know, I think they still do it to this day. I mean, I've come back to Bob's office. But, you know, I just that thought of sharing the story that we're men's residential recovery, delivering meals on wheels to you, like the light bulb that went off to that population, like, well, you guys, you know. We all need purpose. We you all know? need so purpose. Amen. Yeah. If in your addiction, it's focused on who you are and, and just the junk that comes along with that, you've lost sight of who you were created to be. Absolutely. And, and when you share that, you, you also share that the recovery community is essential. Absolutely. They're necessary. We absolutely. need them. Absolutely. So Jen, um, 
tell us a little bit about your family then. Okay. Um, because you said your sister had struggled for a while, and I could tell you have had some light bulb moments, and you had mentioned just addiction. Um, so where did that come from in your family? Where did that come from? And, well, was it biological? Was it a home environment? Um, do you have any insights on that? You know, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Okay. Honestly, um, you know, I'm from the generation that we didn't talk about the things that happened to us. You know, um, when my father passed away, um, you know, I took on a very, and I know that my, my brothers and my sisters did the same thing. We needed to keep mom together. Okay. You know, so, and we were all very young. I was five. My younger brother was three. What was um, the oldest sibling? Um, 13. 13. Okay. Um, and so I think 12 or 13. Um, so, and she actually, my sister Tracy became more of the, the partner to my mom. Okay. And, and her protector, you know, and I think that that was exactly what she would have done regardless. Um, but, you know, it was like, you can't, you can't bring that to mom. You know, she, I think for a while she appeared very fragile and so maybe, um, and how kids internalize what they're saying. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. what was really happening and what you internalized as young people. Well, and, and, you know, as young people, um, it's, you know, we just want to make sure we just want to know we're loved. Yep. Period. And, and safe, you know, those are, those are the number one and number two, we love and we're safe. Um, and if you remove that in any capacity, you're going to try to get that from somewhere. Sure. Um, and so if you're born with that gene, it's, yeah. it's going to connect and it's going to take hold no matter what that drug of choice is. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I can only tell, my addiction is food. I work, for, work through it all the time. Um, I praise God I, I recognize it. Would have you recognized it without kind of... Um, no, nope. understanding this whole addiction process. Nope. Okay, you know, and, and again, I had a very traumatic childhood. Um, I was sexually abused as a as a child, and so for me, that safe and that love was gone. And so, craft macaroni and cheese became my ba- my best friend. You know, you, I still have it in my house, and I try not to eat it. If I'm eating craft macaroni and cheese, there's something going on. <laughs> it's a bad day. It's a bad day. Um, but you know, it's that, and it's not. It's not the food. It's the feeling. Yeah. Um, and so anybody with any kind of addiction, if it's gambling, we've had it all over gambling, tobacco, drugs, alcohol, it, it's not the need to consume it. It's the satisfying it's, feeling that you get from it. Um, you know, because you can't put your finger on it. You know, I said to somebody in an interview one time that when you're numb, okay, so I'll share something. And this is real deep. I was going through a very, very, very bad time in, in my adult life. And I was on a bike on the towpath. And I remember riding and, and thinking, you know, how do I describe my pain? And in my brain, if I could cut and bleed, that would give me some kind of mark that this is the way that I'm feeling. Now, I didn't do that. But in that moment, it hit me that for some, me being one, 
not having the ability to truly share how you feel is a problem. Yeah. Because how do you cure the problem if you can't share how it feels? So numb, numb is a feeling that you're going for. So think about the feeling that you don't have if you're not numb. So it's like, and it's some, you know, it took me a long time and a lot of counseling. I had to deal with um, the trauma that I, that I had as a child to understand that this isn't my fault. Mm-hmm. Still struggle. Um, and that's every single person going through yeah. that. It's, it is all, it's hard because I think that we just don't understand. Sure. Like, how does this happen to me? You know, and I looped it back, you know, to what I shared with you and Josh, you know, the day that my father died, um, we, we were in Fort Knox. He um, was a sergeant in the army. He's been there 21 years. He was doing a midnight shift and my brother irritated me and guy got into a screaming fight with him, kicked him, I think on the couch. He's such a baby and woke my father up and he spanked me for the first time in my life. Fast forward six hours later, and they're carrying him away, you know, gone on an ambulance. So in a five-year-old brain. It was my fault. 100%. I'm so sorry, Jen. I, I know you know in your adult brain. <laughs> it was clearly not, um, but I, I can kind of get for just that young person how confusing that is. And, and Jody, the, the reason why I'm emotional is not because of what I went through, but there are so many people dealing with that right yeah. now on some kind of level. You know, I mean, as a child, if you watch your parents go through any kind of um, storm or any kind of challenge, you just want to fix it, you know, because you don't want to see that struggle. And Jen, I so love your willingness to be honest about this. And I want people to understand, I love that you're saying, yes, my sibling ended up in active addiction with drug and alcohol. Yours was food, but we all have something. something. I mean, you don't get through life unscathed. So it's so important to understand we tend to try to self-medicate. I think that's our natural just nature. Let's take care of this. Let's deal with this. And if you don't have the tools and you don't have the resources, the things that we try to self-medicate with end up tripping us up. Absolutely. Let alone when it is drug and alcohol, because then it changes your brain. And now you're dealing with not only I haven't dealt with these unresolved issues, but now I'm addicted to a substance. And, and, and the fallout from that, whatever it looks like. Catastrophic. Catastrophic. You Absolutely. know, financial, you just go through it, you know. and uh, So it, I'm going to just kind of throw something out there. Um, Anti-drug coalition prevention, use substance use prevention is kind of where we really stay focused. I want adults to know it is so important to help your young people learn how to talk about life experiences. So if you go to a school here in Tuscarawas County, your children are probably going through the taking to the schools program. That's an evidence-based prevention education program. And it's not really as much talking about substances of how do we communicate? Who are our safe people? How do we make good decisions? Issues about self-esteem, all those 
things really need to be taught at a young age because it's much harder to go back at an older age and not have these tools in your toolbox. Right. You know, but when we start with those at a very young age, you know, how are you feeling, you know, and really as an adult listening to that child and helping them develop the skills they need. Or if you identify, hey, I think my child is stuck, you know, they're not able to communicate these things. Um that, that things seem a little bit off, that you you want to go get that assessment with a counselor and just kind of say, hey, am I missing anything here? Is there anything that we can do to give my child the tools and the resources so they can start moving forward in life? Because again, you can be the best parent in the world. Your kids are still going to face adversity. Bullying, right, absolutely. Maybe not feeling fitting in. No matter how well you're trying to develop their self-esteem, it might not translate well from what you're trying to hand off to that child to what they're receiving. So I'm just going to say all of us face adversity, um, but where it's really important is, okay, let's just know we need to work on this front end to give people this, the tools and the resources to work through some of these issues. You know, if you know your young person or yourself has been through something like child molestation or whatever that trauma is, get the help early so you're not developing this narrative in your head, which often takes you to blaming yourself. Blaming yourself, right, absolutely. And um, just, you know, getting that quick fix at a much younger age is probably super helpful. And it's not too late if you have it at the young age. Right. It just probably takes a little more time and a little more intentionality and work. You know, and I, I feel like, um, and I feel the need to share this too, because I, I really, I have grandkids and, you know, and when I'm with them, you know, one of the things that, that is really important to me is to listen to them, to put my phone down, and, and to make memories because it is, you know, I was making um, silly flowers with my granddaughter earlier this week during the snow day. And, um, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity. She's going to be nine in April. It gave me an opportunity to talk to her, you know, to remind her, you know, there isn't anything that, that you can ever do that I won't love you through, mm. you know. And, and the way that, you know, I... I've, I've thought about this. So my mother did not, actually today is my mother's birthday, believe it or not. Oh. Um, and before she died, uh, she, she, I don't think she knew. Uh, well, I know she didn't know. Because again, as a child, I, I really feel the need to protect my mom, you know, because I, it, it, that was evident to me. And so I've often thought about, okay, so, you know, anyone that doesn't share what they're walking through, any child that doesn't share what they're walking through, they're afraid of the response. So my biggest fear is if I take this to an adult, are they going to look at me to blame? You know, or how, and so I just, I didn't, I, I yeah. just didn't. And so the way we respond to these problems or these challenges is going to lay the, the legacy of the success. And so even if my mom would have freaked out, how bad would it have been? Right. You know what I mean? And, and so when I say to, to parents and to any, any adolescent or young person that might be watching this, might have tripped over this, 
think about what's the worst thing that could happen with you going forward. Okay, say you started using, somebody pushed you into it. Um, you want to go to your parents, but you're afraid of their response. Okay, so if they yell, okay, they yell. But if you don't, in five years, what's, yeah. what's that road going to look like? So wise, Jen. Um, and and actually, advice. I mean, I, I truly look at everything in that. Okay, so if I take this now, what's my impact going to be in five years? Mm-hmm. So it's the response. We're all going to freak out. You know, even in on our best day, we're going to freak out. I always tell my children, like, just know I am going to freak out. I'm human. Just, just know it's going to happen, but I need to go through that process before I can get to this. Okay, well, now let's talk about it, you know. But I do kind of prep them that way. Like, I mean, and that's good that you do that because that response is because you, you're inwardly looking, how could I have done this different? You know, I failed my kids. You know, it's just the noise in our head, but we cannot allow that noise to stop what really needs to happen. And in that moment, you know, and I I laugh because I I was a very young mother. Uh, These are, if I could talk to my younger self, this is what I would have said. But it's in that moment that the most important thing you can do is, okay, I love you. Yep. Even knowing this, I love you. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I know that I can figure it out. And because of your courage and telling me, we're going to learn together. And Jen, I'm going to just say this because we're not our 20-something-year-old moms right now. (laughs) We're not. I really want to breathe into grandparents Mm. because you're 20-something or 30-something child still might not be quite ready to hear some of this or take this in because there's something about a pride of life that I think happens at 20 and 30. You're going to be the perfect mom and you're going to have the perfect children. And so you might not be ready to just embrace. The world kind of goes sideways from time to time. But grandparents have such a unique role in our young people. And sometimes our 20 and 30-year-old adult children they're really busy trying to yeah, balance work absolutely. and afford things and go through life. And they might struggle to sit down and cook dinner and have those conversations or make the crafts, you know, because they're tired, you right. know, depending on how many kids and what's going on. But grandparents, neighbors, people that just have some time invest in young people. Absolutely. First of all, they're hilarious. You know, when you, when you have the ability and grandparents have that unique ability. We have a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already been through the... And we don't get rocked as much. No, You, know, you can pretty no. much tell me anything. Exactly. That is exactly right. Like, okay, well, all right. Yeah. Okay. The, there's that. Let's figure it out. Yeah. You know, I was watching a show the other day. This is funny. And and the grandparent, and, and I would say that my kids would probably share this and my grandkids would too, because I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. And, and the grandmother was unruly. Okay. And, and the teenage kids were like, grandma, like, you're a grandma. <laughs> and in that moment, it, it struck me as funny because I wanted to reach out and let those parents know, you're doing your job. Yep. Because your grandkids, I mean, your kids just caught your parent doing something they shouldn't be doing. You know, now I don't want to ever be that grandparent, but, you know, those are little teeny tiny moments. You know, there are so many amazing little moments in life where you're like, okay, they got it. Yeah. You know, so it just opens up the door, you know, in my, 
in my house, we have the attic is the kids' room. Mm-hmm. And, and they, there's a list of rules on that we came up together, um, that, that are on the wall. And it's, if you're coming in here, I don't care if you're my daughter or my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law or my son, these are the rules in this room and we're abiding by them because this is a place where my grandkids, if they get into, and, and it's, you know, probably subconsciously I did this on purpose. So that if they get into something that they don't know how to control or what even to do up in that room, they can say whatever they want and I'm not going to judge them. You know, I might crack them over the head or give them a look. You know, I mean, that's in jest. I'm not really going to crack them over the head. (laughs) Um, But it's just an an environment for them to let their guard down and know that no, there is nothing you can ever say that's not going to make me love you more. Well, and. Even to add on that, and you've mentioned this, as a child, your innate need was to protect your mom. And I see that over and over and over with young people. So again, they might be willing to say something to grandma or to grandpa or youth group leader or someone else that's going on in their heart or feelings they have that they don't want to tell their parent. And it's really because they don't want to tell their parent, someone's picking on me because for whatever reason, in their young mind, they think it just gonna, might be too it's going to hurt their yeah, mom be to too hear much. that, you know, I might not have friends at school right now. Right. But they might be willing to say that to a grandma or another adult that's willing to just invest that time, the energy, and ask those questions and respond in a non judgmental, completely loving, accepting way. It's so, the best thing you can ever do for your kids. Put your phone down. Love them unconditionally and really just not even just say love unconditionally. Live it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no matter the circumstances. And and you know, we are very fortunate because, you know, we do understand the the extreme need for prevention. And and I don't know, Jody, if you've ever thought about this, but another thing that prevention does is it opens up the opportunity for a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you bring that information to a child in first or second grade. And, and, you know, I didn't know that was what was happening to me was not what every family did. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I had no idea because it was what I was living. And so children believe that. So if, you know, prevention is huge because then they get the understanding that, oh, that isn't what happens in right. all families. Right, right. So now what do I do with this information? And, and where do I go? It, it, it really establishes an opportunity not only to teach in that moment, but to open up the, the thought process of, well, maybe this isn't something that, that everybody does. Right, right. I know one of the things that, honestly, I've had this occur, this conversation probably three times this week. One of the things my staff does in the school with younger people is they have this worry jar and the kids write mm-hmm. in what they're concerned about. But I've had multiple, like three times this week, someone say, my child brought home the worry jar. Oh. And then they had a conversation with their parents and they're like, they were worried about this. You know what I mean? But it created that opportunity to have that conversation. And even if it might seem little to the adult, that's where that, that child's at, you know, they're worried about something which can create needs to self-medicate or feel or try to feel or whatever that might be. Well, and so. you, you touched it, you know, our family, my thing's falling off my head. Um, 
our families, especially now in the middle of this pandemic, they're bogged down with yeah. so much. You know what I mean? And so the the worry of is this really going to be bad? Right. Might open up that opportunity for not only for the child to be able to share, but for the parent to take a step back and go, you know what? I do have the news on all the time or, you know, we talk about this all the time or, you know, when I did it, I was guilty of it. And, and you know, here's the really good thing when you're young and, and you're a parent just trying to get through each day, you're going to make mistakes. You said it. There are no Norman Rockwell moments <laughs> ever. And, and trying to be perfect um, might just be this thing that you need to let go yeah. because, you know what, our kids need to see we do make mistakes. That was probably, when I look back on parenting, when I learned that perfection was not my goal, I think my kids ended up healthier, our families ended up healthier, and they learned skills that that you need in life. Because, you know, we're we're not aiming for perfection, we're aiming to do life well. We're raising adults. We We are raising adults, we're not raising children. Right. Can I share a really funny story oh, about the Norman Rockwell moment? So Christmas Eve, my daughter was probably in fifth grade. And um, I was singing at church and um, having the whole family over. That was a little trick I used. Like if I got involved with the church, my family would go to church to watch me. And so we're having all these people back. And I'm leaving to go to the church for rehearsal. And my daughter says to me, I'll, I'll vacuum. I'm like, Beautiful. That's wonderful. I come back and, you know, the living room tree, we all have a living room tree, which is where the table was set. Like that was going to be the atmosphere. It's Christmas Eve. It's snowing. It's going to be beautiful. This Norman Rockwell moment is going to go down. It's happening. It's happening. I walk in and every single light on the Christmas tree is blown, like to the point where the glass is black. And I'm like, I've been gone for an hour. Like, what in the heck happened? Well, I walk in, and the vacuum is plugged in to the Christmas tree lights. <laughs> to the Christmas tree lights. And, I, and, and it's just laying there, like, open, like, my, it happened. And my daughter ran to her room, and she had locked herself into her room. And I remember standing there and going, okay, this is going to be the memory that I remember about this Christmas. <laughs> but the fact that my daughter is locked in her room because she thinks... I just, she just ruined Christmas. So again, that response is so important. Yeah. And I'd like to say that I walked up and hugged her and said, it's okay. I'm sure I was, I, I know that was the end of what I did, but it probably took me a little while yeah. because, you know, we can't put candles in trees, but okay. So the, the Christmas tree isn't going to be lit. But I remember walking into her room and her sitting on her bed and, and she had been crying. And I, I looked at her and I was like, Chelsea. None of that matters. Mm. Believe it or not, even if the whole world goes black tonight, we are still celebrating the birth of Jesus. Amen. And so, you know, when you think about our response, you know, it that could have been a pivotal moment yeah. for her. I've heard you talk about mental health in the past as well. Trauma is so mm. important to understand. But I think what's important about trauma isn't, Everybody's trauma is different. Like we, there's no way to measure you it. You and I could walk through the same life experience. Could be traumatic to me and not to you or vice versa. So we don't even understand what's playing out in our young person's 
head as they're going through situations as well. So, you know, that's where those conversations frequent often about everything. About everything. And and again, super helpful. that no judgment. Yep. You know, I mean, no judgment. I remember people, kids in school telling me how terrible their, their life was, you know, because their father worked late and their mom had to keep dinner warm. And I'm just sitting there thinking, <laughs> yeah, hmm, okay. Um, but at the time, you know, that is traumatic. And, and we, and I don't think we knew that then, Yeah. you know, again, that comes right back to, you know, we just need to remove the judgment. Yep. We need to love period. It's not rocket science. Yep. Um, and, and imagine how good that makes everybody feel when they know that no matter what I'm going through, the truth is, is, you know, this too shall pass. You want to know how many times that's in the Bible? Look it up. It's amazing. Because it's going to pass. But our response to it is going to, is this going to be a traumatic experience? Or is this just going to be something we walk through? Well, Jen, I know um, we're probably out of time. I don't even know how much. I'll talk about I much. don't know. We, we tend to. <laughs> I knew you and I would talk quite a bit today. Jody's like, Jen, you've got five minutes. <laughs> I, I just think there was so much that you said today. Um, First of all, thank you for your service with Congressman Gibbs' oh, office. Thank you. And, it's an honor and a pleasure. And thank him for us just making time. I know we met with him as a coalition. There were quite a few of them last week. And I know our voices are heard. Um, and, and I just underscore that with residents of Tuscarawas County. When we have concerns and when we have issues, we have senators, we have congressmen, we have state representatives, and they need to hear our voice. Absolutely. The only way things are going to get done is if they know what the needs of our community are. And you guys are blessed. You are incredibly blessed. Congressman Johnson and Congressman Gibbs. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, they really, really, really are approachable. Um, you know, with everything that we hear in the news today, I'm here to tell you, you are represented well. Yeah. Um, and, and I know on the substance use issue, because both of those we talk to, throughout the year both of them get it they understand they it. it so and i you know he has you as uh his outreach what are you director, director of, of outreach? outreach i know not a better voice uh, for anyone um to be able to have the congressman's ear and say this is what's going on this is the heart of the people this is this issue and i know you advocate for that very Absolutely. well so and you know it. and i just want to open up to like if you're listening to this and you just need to know that you matter and that you're cared for. I love you no matter what you're going through. And if you need someone to talk to, touch base with someone that makes you feel that way. You know, at the end of the day, we are the fruit that we bear. And um, no one goes without trouble, without challenges. And anyone that makes you think that they do, you need to move on and get some different fruit. Um, feel free to reach out. Um, and she means that. I mean, I, because if, if, if I can do anything, I will at least try. I might not have the answers, but at least I will figure it out. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today and everyone out there. Your recovery matters. You matter. The, the situations you're walking through, just know that uh, you live in a community that truly does care. Um, Jen, thank you so thank much. You for Thanks having me. for sharing your story and your insights and um, pretty amazing. Thank you. So. I just hope it, one person, it's all it needs. Sounds great. All right. Thank you Thanks for being again, a blessing, Jen, Jody, to this community. Thank you.
and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and visit our website at adctusk.org.